Before we moved out to San Francisco 20 years ago, Karen and I were on the faculty of Semester at Sea. Along with four dozen other faculty members and families, and 600 college juniors from all over the country, we sailed around the world. When we were at sea, I taught three college courses. When we weren't, we cruised up the Amazon, slept in a non-electrified game compound in Africa, watched them cremate bodies on the Ganges, walked on the Great Wall of China, slept in a Buddhist monastery in Japan. I told the dean who hired me, you throw one hell of a party. While we were aboard ship, even though it was over 20 years ago, we were able to send and receive email through the ship's now primitive satellite uplink. This was especially important because our voyage coincided with trying to sell our home back in Boston. About two weeks after our house went on the market, we were somewhere in the Andaman Sea. For those of you who don't subscribe to National Geographic, it's between India and Malaysia. And during the most sensitive hours of our negotiations, that satellite uplink, our only connection with our Caldwell banker realtor on literally the other side of the world, went down. Zero communication, garnished. I sprinted up three decks to the no-admittance radio man's office, but there was nothing he could do but assure us that we'd be back online in an hour at the most. But he was wrong. It took 72 hours, three entire days. I am not making this up. And then, when communication was finally restored, we received four messages from our realtor in a row all at once. And each one had the same subject line, urgent. The first one read, a solid offer has come in, but it's lower than your asking price. I know you're anxious to sell, but since there have been no other offers, advise you come back with a counter offer. Immediately below that, on the same printer sheet of incoming messages, was a second email from our realtor. But it was posted 11 hours later. It read, haven't heard from you, Assume you're standing firm. Below that, from a day later still, was a third message. It read, hold everything 
another buyer has come forward, we may have a bidding war here, suggest you do not counter the first offer. And then below that was a fourth message posted yet another day later. Congratulations, you sold your house way above your asking price. You guys have nerves of steel. Sure, I thought, if I'd only known, I would have brought a cardiologist with me. My point here is that getting everything all at once can be just plain terrifying. This thing has three parts. You just heard the first one. The hymn Adon Olam, near the beginning of the morning liturgy, contains a lot of serious Jewish theology. But because we only sing it, Jews forget what the words mean. The fourth verse says, V'hu haya v'hu God was, God is, God will be. Think about that for a moment. If God be eternal, then for God, time is irrelevant. God can't remember anything, nor dream of the future. For God, it's all simply now. God experiences everything all at once. L let me try it with a metaphor. If you're over 25, you'll know what I'm talking about right away. For those of you who aren't, let me explain. A long, long, long time ago, instead of printing photos on a printer, people occasionally recorded them on transparent film, Kodachrome. Each image came framed in a little two-inch square piece of cardboard. We called them slides. And if you owned a projector, you could shine a sequence of them on a screen. It was called a slide show. Then you could watch an excruciatingly boring series of still images ad seriatim, portraying, for instance, your host's summer vacation to France. And here's me standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. Back to theology. So imagine that we have slides, say, of your wedding. Depending on how the marriage turns out, this might be beautiful or, God forbid, horrific or a slide, perhaps, about the birth of a child. Suppose someone you love has died, and a rude guest takes slides of the funeral. Don't moan. I had to stop a funeral once 
to get a guy to put his camera down. That would surely evoke grief. Imagine a slide for everything. You get the idea? It goes on and on. And that would be merely talking about one person's life, yours. Now, suppose you're God. You remember the guy who's beyond time. God would be the one for whom all the slides are stacked one on top of another, simultaneously all visible. That could be terrible. You're unable to cry because you know you will also laugh. You cannot feel happiness for you know the price that will be paid. The joy contains the sadness, the sadness, the joy. Make it go away. And that, my friends, I believe, is why the Torah warns that you cannot see God and live. Without time, you get everything all at once. Oh, I, I almost forgot except for the few moments before you die, if you choose, you can get everything all at once without being dead. We Jews even have a special day for it, Yom Kippur. In six days, time will cease to exist. The paralysis of mirthless wonder the shame for wasting so much of our lives. We will gather here in person or mysteriously through our Zoom screens to give one another support and succor as we try to comprehend everything in our lives all at once. The world, our plans, our lives may all be going to hell in a handbasket. But at least we do have one another. All of us are trying as best we can to comprehend everything all at once. And of course, that is what it means to stand before God. This brings me to part three. I began with an ocean-crossing ship, so I'll finish with the band on the Titanic. Their resolution to continue playing amidst the chaos has attained almost mythic status. I am also puzzled that their continued music-making while the great ship went down, is frequently misunderstood as an act of futility. A string quartet playing Schubert while the world falls apart. A member of my former congregation used to joke that the only difference between his aging mother's finances and the Titanic was that the Titanic had a band. 
I am now convinced that the musician's decision to continue playing despite their obvious fate is really a gesture of mutual respect, dignity, even piety. Everyone was going to die. The only remaining operative question now was, how? Well, I cannot corroborate this yet. I do have it from a reliable source that the violist or whoever it was who kept the band playing in a strange but surely unmistakable gesture of respect was apparently the only non-first-class person buried among the first-class passengers. Whether or not this is accurate, the line that the film's director, James Cameron, gives him in the movie belongs in the Yom Kippur liturgy. Some of you may remember it, that scene as it was portrayed in the 1997 film, Titanic. All the lifeboats are either gone or full. The ship has begun to list. Deck chairs begin to slide. Passengers are running this way and that, screaming in terror, and the band members agree it's time to stop playing. They start to put away their instruments, but then it dawns on, I think it was the violist, that there was nowhere to go. In such a situation, the only thing to do is the only thing you know how to do. And if you happen to be a musician, that means you go on making music as best you can. So the violist turns back to the ensemble and offers one of the great movie lines of all time. Through tears, picking up his instrument, with all humility, dignity, and piety, he says, gentlemen, it's been a privilege playing with you tonight. It occurs to me that that may just about all any of us ever get to say. It's been a privilege playing with you. Would that we too could speak those words, but without the threat of imminent death. To live in such a way as to be able to honestly speak those words to the other members of the band with whom we come into contact day after day after day. We are all musicians in the ship's band. The boat may not be sinking, but like it or not, we are all dying. This sobering Yom Kippur realization can make us run wild with terror, just like most of the people aboard the Titanic. Or, as with the klezmorum, the musicians, it can lend dignity, grace, and beauty to the music we play. For truth be told, 
we are all doing the very best we can at what may finally be the only thing we know how to do. What a holy place it will be. What an extraordinary orchestra. So much trust. We whisper to one another, it's been a privilege playing with you.